Let's go ahead and look to the Lord with a word of prayer. We'll get started. Lord, you know our hearts. You know our minds. You know where we are at this given moment of time, Lord. We recognize the importance of coming before you and worshiping you and praising you. But Lord, sometimes it's hard for us to worship or praise because we have things in our hearts and minds that distract us from giving our hearts completely to you. And Lord, we ask that you just help us now in this moment. That we put aside those things that are at the forefront. Put them aside so that we can truly hear your words and worship and listen to you. Lord, bless us as we go because Lord, you know that we need help in this area. We have the pressures of the world that sometimes come crashing down upon us. And Lord, we have to recognize that in this domain, Satan wants to give us a rough time and keep us from truly serving you in any capacity. This is always going to be the case until such time, Lord, when you come back. And we look forward to your return. But until that time, Lord, open our hearts and minds. Put our focus upon you and your word at this moment. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. This past week, I was part of a committee presentation for my company's celebration of Black History Month. Now within this presentation, it was important to point out that the recognition of those who are part of black history is beneficial to all Americans of all races. And it's especially important for African Americans to learn and know about people of color who made history with important societal contributions in science, technology, arts, and other areas of history and literature. The truth is that many black Americans do not know history, let alone black history. Amen. Now there are moments, of course, there are many schools now teaching black history, along with key moments in American history, but is any of this information really sticking with the children? Is it sticking? There's not many people that want to grow up and say, for example, I want to be a historian. Well, that's exactly who Carter G. Woodson was. And if you don't know who Carter G. Woodson was, he's a man responsible for Black History Month. It started out back in 1926 as Negro History Week, but he devoted his life to making sure that blacks were recognized in history. He was a historian. That was his life work. You know there's something wrong when, according to data collected by Brainly, that's a website, in, in 2021 they took a survey, they help out with student homework and studying. In that survey, 63% of students didn't know Martin Luther King Jr.'s accomplishments or were unaware of some of the important things he did in his role in the American Civil Rights Movement. 
63% didn't know. And this was in 2021. According to the survey, 1,700 students were interviewed. Over 25% of the U.S. students said that Dr. King did not lead the Montgomery bus boycott. Roughly 18% didn't know Dr. King organized the March on Washington. 19% said Dr. King didn't give the famous I Have a Dream speech. This is why we need to talk about Black History Month. If you're looking for reasons to talk about it, that's the reason. We have very short-term memory. We need to talk about history, period. Talk about history, period. Some of the things that happen in history are nothing to be proud of. And that applies to all races, everybody. Amen? But we still need to talk about it. We need to talk about history, period, because human nature reminds us that we can be our own worst enemy if we don't learn the lessons of history. Winston Churchill, in a 1948 speech to the House of Commons, paraphrased writer and philosopher George Santayana with the words, Those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. I don't think you can make a more true statement than that. Nicholas Claremont, a philosopher and contributing editor to BigThink.com, writes, It may be common sense that all the good things and all the bad things about people and the way we organize ourselves are simply going to breed patterns as we continue to make history as a species. It may be that we are simply given to a certain irrationality which leads us down paths, some disastrous, again and again. Now let's look at some familiar people in Bible history. Amen? Bible history. There are many passages in the Old Testament where God himself or others declare him to be the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And you'll find that readily in Exodus chapter 3 verse 6. But it's mentioned many other places in scripture too. Pieces, parts of that, say the God of Jacob, whatever it is. But that's how God represents himself. That's how he identified with, him, him, with us as the reader in the Old Testament early on. Yet, if we look at the lives of these men that he's referring to, we're going to see a body of evidence to show that these men were subject to human nature, just like we are. Turn your Bibles and electronic devices to Genesis 15. Let's start looking at some passages to reflect upon who these men were. And some of these passages are very complimentary because we recognize that God is referring to them in a complimentary manner because of their faith or whatever it is that they've done. But mostly their faith. Genesis 15, verse 6. Genesis 15, 6. This is the New Living Translation. And Abram 
which is referring to Abraham, believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now remember that. Righteous because of his faith. Now flip ahead in the New Testament to James 2. It's going to follow what this passage says. James chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. James 2, 21 through 23. Verse 21, James chapter 2. Uh, This is the Christian Standard Bible Version. Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was perfected. So the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness, and he was called God's friend. But we're also going to see Abraham now in a negative light. He lied to protect himself from being killed by King Abimelech in Genesis 20, verses 1 and 2. And he was he and his wife Sarai, also known as Sarah, showed a lack of trust in God's word about having children. Genesis 16. As a result, Hagar was given over to Abram and gave birth to Ishmael. Abraham had to repent of his sins of lying in order to have God bless him and Sarah with their first true-born, Isaac. Abraham had to do some work. Because God's not going to bless you if you don't repent of your sin. Period. We can say that very safely based upon the timeline that we look at. So they had their first true-born, Isaac. Now let's take a look at Isaac. Go to Genesis 26. Genesis 26. Let's look at verses 23 through 25. So we're just making a case here as we go. Genesis 26, verses 23 through 25. And please remember what I just said. You will not be blessed if you don't repent and turn from sin. It's not going to happen. Genesis 26, verses 23 through 25. This is for Isaac. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him that night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your offspring because of my servant Abraham. So he built an altar there, called on the name of the Lord, and pitched his tent there. Isaac's servants also dug a well there. Okay, so now we see the testimony about Isaac. And he choosing to be faithful, and he was recognizing it, and God was keeping his promise. You can be blessed through Abraham's offspring. Now Isaac, following in the footsteps of his father, though, had already lied to a future king of Bimelech about his wife, Rebekah, as he feared for his own life, stating, She is my sister. Apparently that went around more than once. That's in Genesis 26, 7. 
Now Isaac's sons were Jacob and Esau. There was ongoing conflict within the household of Jacob and his wife Rebekah. Isaac loved Esau because of his hunting prowess, but Rebekah loved Jacob. You can see where that's a problem. That was in Genesis 25, verse 28. Esau was the firstborn, but he had already rejected his birthright to Jacob over some bread and a pot of stew. Must have been the most tasty stew and bread he's ever, anybody's ever eaten in a lifetime. But he rejected his birthright. That's in Genesis 25, verses 29 through 33. And later, Jacob, with the prompting of Rebekah, deceived Isaac to receive his blessing. That's in Genesis 27. What kind of a messed up family is that? And yet, God blessed Jacob, who would eventually be renamed Israel. Genesis 32, 28. So we can see from Scripture the imperfections of those three men. And if we were to continue in the bloodline, look at Jacob's ten sons, outside of Joseph and Benjamin... We would look at them and see that they were a mess as well. They caused a lot of trouble for Jacob throughout his life. But these men who were jealous of Joseph and evil-minded eventually experienced deep regret and repented for their treatment of Joseph. I'm doing a big fast forward there. Because that doesn't come until like Genesis 49, Genesis 50 in that area. Even after this experience, they were the foundation of the 12 tribes of Israel. But like all of us, they still struggled with fleshly behavior. Fleshly behavior. All of these men were flawed by sinfulness. Human nature over the course of history has followed the pattern of disaster for a generation after generation. And disaster is not too strong of a word. Disaster. You don't have to go too far in the Old Testament. Look at the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings. And remember what it says at the end of 2 Kings, if I'm not mistaken. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Amen? He did what was right in their own eyes. Well, that's a disaster. Take a look at Proverbs 14.22. Proverbs 14.22. I went through the exercise of asking you to reflect upon how big God was in your life. Because this is a lot of self-reflection. It's very easy to point fingers at what other people are doing or what other people are saying or looking at life in general, looking at the world outside. What about your life with God? What about where you are right now? Look what it says in Proverbs 14.22, New Living Translation. If you plan to do evil, you will be lost. If you plan to do good, you will receive unfailing love and faithfulness. Sounds like an either or to me. Amen? If you plan to do evil, you will be lost. 
If you plan to do good, you will receive unfailing love and faithfulness. Why don't we choose the latter? Have you noticed how God shows us over and over again how flawed people represent Him in the efforts to win over others for Jesus? Have you noticed that? All that He wants from us, the flawed people, is to believe in Him. Believe in Him. That's all He requires of us. Believe in Him. He already loves us because we are His special creation. And He is faithful with His own promises. And it sets the stage back in Genesis. Go back to Genesis 1. Let's look at verses 26 through 28. We have to understand that we are special in God's eyes. We are special in His eyes. We are His special creation. Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. You've got to know that you're special because you were created in His image. You're created in His image. Verse 26, Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 27. So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Then look at what it says in verse 28. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. God gave us the responsibility to care for all the other things He had created before they came into existence. That's how special we are. We are His special creation. We were not created originally as flawed people, let's be clear. But even though we now have Adam's sin nature, God still loves us. His remedy for us is in salvation through Jesus Christ. We just need to believe in Him and who He is. Amen? Now here's a prime example of this. This is a long passage, so I want you to follow along. Go to John chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 3 through 30. Now that sounds like a lot, but it flows beautifully. So just follow along with me as we go. John chapter 4, verses 3 through 30. Some of you may recognize right away what this passage is and what this is about. John chapter 4, verses 3 through 30. Alright, I'm going to start reading. I feel like I'm in a time warp right now, everybody. Just as I hear things. John chapter 4, verses 3 through 30. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar. Now listen to what is being said here. 
near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Verse 9. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Verse 10, Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? Verse 13, Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Verse 15, Please, sir, the woman said, Give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Verse 16, Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship?" Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. Verse 23, But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus then, then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, What do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Now, thank you for bearing with me on that. But there's so much packed in here, you've got to look at this for what it really is. First of all, this village had historical significance in that one of Jacob's wells was there. So we're talking about a relevant point of time where now we're looking at modern day in that point compared to when Jacob was alive a long time ago. Jacob's wells were there and the people there in the village were, obviously it was a very, it was a, a very strong uh, point of reference for them. It was a matter of history for them. Jacob's well was there. This woman was very popular. 
and very influential in this village. Everyone knew who she was. In my notes, I have everyone capitalized. Everybody knew who this woman was. And yet Jesus loved her and must have known that she was going to bring many people to Jesus. Must have known that. You know, things don't happen in as far as accidents go, everybody. This is a very pivotal time for those people. He's making an open declaration that salvation is for the Jews, but now others will be involved in recognizing Jesus as Lord. This woman was very intelligent. Did you pick up on that? She had a lot of knowledge, a lot of historical knowledge. But we also know this woman was flawed as well. She was divorced five times. And she was unmarried in her present relationship. But guess what? That didn't matter. Jesus used her anyway. God uses flawed people to fulfill his will and demonstrate his faithfulness. I'll repeat that one more time. God uses flawed people to fulfill his word, fulfill his will, and demonstrate his faithfulness. Of course, he's fulfilling his word. But his will be done. Are you getting the picture of today's history lesson? Because this is kind of a history lesson. What should you be getting here is that no one is beyond redemption by Jesus. No one is beyond redemption by Jesus. One of the impressions that I used to have when I was growing up, when I was younger, I was looking at these great people in the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. Moses was a murderer. Moses murdered somebody. And yet they were great men of faith. They were flawed people, but they were great men of faith. And that's what makes the difference. It's not because they were great people per se. Because they were just like us. They were flawed. No one is beyond redemption by Jesus and everyone who believes in him can be an active member in the body of Christ. Why do we go to the trouble to visit our prisons? We want to see them get saved. The people in prison get saved. We want to see people come to know Jesus. They're not throwaways. They've made mistakes. Some of them pretty bad. And some will never get out of prison. But they're not beyond redemption by Jesus. In spite of our history of sinful, fleshly behavior, He loves us. He loves us even though we don't deserve to be loved, but He loves us anyway. Anyway. Do we deserve the love of Jesus? Absolutely not. Yet he loves us anyway. He loves you for who you he loves you for who you are. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4. 
I apologize for the audio. I don't know if you guys can hear this. I can hear it really well up here. But uh, we're going we're gonna to soldier through. 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. I'm trying to find the sweet spot. I think this is the sweet spot right here. I'm not 100% sure. I'm working on it. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Verse 9. God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Look at that again, the last verse. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Because when we sin, we are going against God's will and purpose for us. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter 3. Verses 8 and 9. 2 Peter 3. Verses 8 and 9. This is going to be from the New Living Translation. 2 Peter 3 verse 8. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Why did I mention this passage about the thousand years to a day and vice versa? God is very patient. God is very patient. Very patient. And that's the reflection of His grace. But we need to remain in prayer for others who don't know Jesus in order that they will eventually accept Jesus. We have a group of people in our sphere of influence. Everybody here has a group of people in your sphere of influence, people that you come in contact with, people that are around you, who need our prayers and need to know the truth of the gospel. Amen? We need to pray for those people in our immediate area who need to know Jesus. You have a heart for God. It should be a natural occurrence for you to pray for people around you who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that means everything. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2. Verses 1 through 5. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 1 through 5. Mm-hmm. 
First Timothy two. Verses 1 through 5. Verse 1. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Now that's verse 1. Pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. There is only one that can do this for us. One man one mediator, one God, the man Christ Jesus. God's very patient. He knows the hearts of every man, every woman, ever created. Those who are living today. And he is looking for us as believers to be in prayer for all these individuals who don't know Jesus. Anyone come to mind? We need to know more about our history. We need to look at our history in the Bible. The most important elements of history center around the works of Jesus Christ. The works of Jesus That's where our focus is. What are the words that best represent the character of Jesus? Well, there's a bunch of verses that you could probably pull out and come up with and answer that question. But I'm going to have you go to Revelation 19. Go to Revelation 19, verse 11. Revelation 19, verse 11. Revelation 19, verse 11. This will be in the New Living Translation. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. Jesus wages a righteous war. He is faithful and true. That's the character of the God we serve. If you're looking for truth, you look at Jesus. If you're looking for someone who's faithful, you look at Jesus. He's faithful because he's kept his word. And he continues to keep his word. And for those of us who have been alive long enough, you know good and well he sustained you and kept you. Because he's faithful and true. Jesus is faithful 
and true. He is righteous in everything that he does. Our faith in him is what makes us righteous and precious in his sight. Remember what was said about Abraham. Abraham had faith. He believed in God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. It's exactly the same for us. We are righteous in our faith. Now what is faith? You recognize that faith does not come from our own fleshliness. God has to give us this faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. He has to give us this faith. We have to accept it. We have to choose to follow it. It's his gift to us. A lot of people just throw gifts away. We would rather live on their own. Would rather go through life on their own. Until they're screaming for help. Lord help me. And Lord will say I've been here all along. Where have you been? Jesus is faithful and true. He is the great I am. We talked about that earlier today in Sunday school. He'd make the declaration to the Pharisees. John 8, 58. Before Abraham was, I am. The God we serve is a God of all history. But he's also the God of our present. He's the God of today. I'm not the God of the dead. I'm the God of the living, he says. He's alive today. He's here right now. He's present in our lives today. He wants you to acknowledge him as Lord. He also knows our future. He knows our future. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper, not to harm you. Paraphrase it. To give you a hope and a future. He's the God of our future too. He wants us to experience his loving touch of salvation. Now I don't make the assumption that everybody in this room knows Jesus. No offense to anyone. But sometimes you just can't share the truth of the gospel too many times. I don't think there's ever such a thing. But the way you experience peace of God, not to get away from the troubles of the world, because the troubles of the world are going to be there, but to experience the peace of Jesus in your life and to know that your eternity is taken care of. That's what this is about. But don't be like those who rejected Jesus. Those that fail to recognize the errors in history are doomed to repeat it. Let's continue to dig deep into his word and recognize his truth and faithfulness. 
Take a look at 2 Timothy 2, verse 13. 2 Timothy 2, verse 13. The great thing about Jesus is that he is faithful and true in spite of what we do. Verse 13, 2 Timothy 2. If we are faithless, faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Amen. That's the kind of God we need to serve. And he's saying this about himself because it's true. He cannot deny himself. He is going to be who he is. Faithful and true. And guess what? Satan's going to be who he is too. A liar and a father of liars. Don't ever believe anything Satan tells you. Believe in the one. You know, Satan was created by God ultimately. He's not a God. Believe in the one who's faithful and true. He remains faithful and God wants to use each of us to proclaim his good news wherever we are and wherever we go. May we remain faithful to him as he is always faithful to us. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus? Do you believe that he is faithful and true? Do you believe he is who he says he is? His word declares it. He is who he says he is. He's our remedy. As flawed people, we need a remedy. The remedy is Jesus Christ. Amen? Father, we are thankful that you continue to teach us and reinforce to us the importance of trusting in you and your word. And Lord, there are many things in this world that are where people are truly depraved and people are truly going their own way to destruction. And Lord, right now, I pray for those individuals. We pray for those individuals. Because, Lord, it's your desire for every person to come to a saving knowledge of you. And a little bit closer to home, we pray for those people in our sphere of influence who do not know you. We pray for them, Lord. We lift them up to you that you, in the power of the Spirit, will show yourself to them. Show yourself to be faithful and true to them in their lives. To not rely upon themselves, but to rely upon you. Lord, build their faith. Give them faith. Give them the reasoning and understanding to to know that only through you can they experience eternal life. There is no multiple ways for them to come to know you. As some people have tried to teach... Lord, we lift them up to you right now. And Lord, for those in present right now who do not know you, 
Lord, teach them. Speak to them. Help them, Lord. Reassure them of your very presence. Thank you, Lord, for all the answers to prayer today and in those days to come. We are thankful, Lord, that you are a very patient God. But we also know that we only have a number of days and at that point the patience will run out if we don't have a knowledge of you as Lord and Savior. Help us, Lord, to make that decision today, not to wait or to tarry. Thank you, Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.